Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, where the foliage is out in full force today. John Taylor, feeling great, feeling great, getting out, getting out and about in that this afternoon. Uh, up there in New York City. New York City. Fangraph Zone. John Taylor. The skyline Wait, let me, is I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. I'm going to try it again. New York City. That's better. Um, yeah, I was I was just remarking on that to myself earlier. I got this this time of year when the light is just right since we're taping these uh, in the evening mm-hmm. for that skyline to look like that. It, it's really it's really something. It is top notch. Do you get any foliage? Like, is it Central Park? Is that your only go to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do? yeah, I mean, they're New York City isn't big on trees. Um, <laughs> we don't seem mm-hmm. to trust them. But what trees so, we do have, they their colors do change. But more, more, more usually you just got to You got to get out of the city and go upstate. Um, there you go. Have you done that? A popular. Yeah, I've, I've done. Well, not this seat. Not this year. Not yet. Um, okay. Planning to do it. Toward the end of the month, once the playoffs are a little more, when, once we are past the point where it's like, hey, four games of baseball, you're going to be watching baseball for 13 straight hours. Yeah. Um, that'll that'll make it a little easier, I think. Did the Braves win the World Series 11 days later from now last year? Well, it's What's funny is someone, I saw a Red Sox beat writer tweeting about how today is the 36th anniversary of Dave Henderson's um, basically ALCS winning home run in 86. Yeah. And just thinking for a moment, I was like, the pennant had already been decided by the middle of October back then. Yeah. Whereas we are still, who knows how many games away, just e- even from the, from the pennant being over, much less the playoffs being over. Um, I, I, I most, for the most part, liked the wild card round. I do not like that. The playoffs are now like five and a half weeks long. And, you know, and also at the same rate, I like the I think I like the baseball quadruple header more in theory than in reality, because mm. in reality, it's just kind of tough to especially like, you know, with the with the afternoon start times, with having to stagger the start times with something like today where uh, because of the rain in Atlanta, now we're going to have both second games of the NLDS starting at exactly the same time or roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, those are that's it's it's weird. It's weird to think how much longer the playoffs both feel and now genuinely are. Yeah. And also, I mean, some of that too is also the fact that we, since we lost the first week of the season, uh, scheduling wise to the lockout, everything just got pushed back a week, but yeah, yeah. It, it definitely feels late in a lot of ways for, for us to be only in the, at the start of the division series. If Cleveland, Cleveland makes the world series, we're going to have a snowmageddon situation. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about like, if it's New York in the world series, by the time they're playing the, the those first games, like end of October, beginning of November, it's going to be like 35 degrees outside. Yeah. Let, I, let's just be really glad that the twins didn't make the playoffs. Oh my God. Or the tigers, you know? Um, I think we can hold our breath on that becoming. Uh, yeah. Becoming I, I, we'll be saying that at least for the next like five years. Yeah. Um, I will say it's funny to like, monitor like fan bases who are new to playoff baseball um losing their minds like mariners fans are already mm-hmm. exhausted you see that where they're like oh we're we're good we we didn't realize it was going to be like this up and down and you're just yeah. the emotional roller coaster of playoff baseball um i mean it, when you haven't been a part of it in so long and then be uh on 
just the trajectory that the Mariners are on right now, or even just the Phillies, where the Phillies fans are like, well, then, oh, my God, do we buy in? What, what, what is happening? What, least, what are we doing here? At least the great majority of Phillies fans, by virtue of being Philadelphia sports fans, are just clinically insane. And mm. are, it's like this doesn't affect them because they're too broken for to feel anything anymore. I feel for Mariners fans, not just because this is the first time they've done this in 21 years, mm-hmm. and not just because this team is very clearly a likable team and uh, a good team that you know they're they're going to be they're going to feel good about no matter how where this team goes, but also that in the span of three games they went from one of the greatest comebacks in MLB postseason history in beating Toronto and and advancing to the wild card se- or to the division series to one of the most gut punch losses I can remember as team taking in the first game of the LDS when Jordan Alvarez just blasted them into hell mm. like that particular roller coaster is that's really I, I was like I was saying is sometimes like for Mariners fans sometimes a playoff it's a nice reminder sometimes the playoffs really suck yep like sometimes playoff games are are just terrible they just hurt they hurt in a way that like you didn't even know you could hurt like playoff I mean, games are I've tough, said yeah. that baseball I mean, this is across the board, college or pro. I think baseball postseason losses hurt more than any other sport. Like I series think, loss, I think it hurts the most. I think the only comparable one in my mind is NHL postseason games, hmm. especially if it's an NHL overtime postseason game. I think NHL overtime postseason is the single most stressful, difficult form of postseason play like imaginable. Hmm. The idea that your season could your your game, your series, your season can end in a second. And that's just that. That's really tough. Um, yeah. I know also, uh, obviously, uh, World Cup games, once they get to elimination games, th- those are brutal. <laughs> those are really, really hard. I think it's interesting. There's a lot of world, and we're going to experience that this fall as well. That's so weird that that's happening this fall as well. But um, it's it's funny because so many of my friends and people I grew up with, like living and dying by the men's national team. And I never understood it where I was like, there's there's no path to them winning the world cup like that's that's not a no. thing what it, why are you g- getting so emotionally invested in this thing that can absolutely not happen that is mm-hmm. not a thing that can happen it will not happen this year i will never once be emotionally invested in an american world cup run maybe i should just emotionally invest in uh the motherland uh with my my mate my just my name being extremely british especially no i mean if, yeah. if you want to pick the team that's going to find a way to hurt you even deeper yeah picking the yeah. england men's national team is probably your best choice there i go Although, i can't I mean, lose on the one hand it's coming home it's always mm-hmm. going to come home it, it's football's coming home yeah. on the other hand it's england like it's never coming home so yeah I, I i really feel for mariners fans again to go from that high to that low and, and to know, too, that, like, I mean, for whatever reason, the American League, the division series and the AL had the day off today where the NL didn't. But mm. that's the other thing. It's like you just got to buck up and do it again. You got to do it all over again. You know, well, let's talk about the uh, the the wild card round, because tonight we have, like you said, the NL uh, DS games uh, game two for pod Dodgers and the Dodgers are up one zero. Uh, and then uh, the Braves have not played as of yet in this series against the Phillies. I'm excited to see what game one looks like in this regard. Uh, I've forgotten that they just they, they took the field yesterday and everyone's like, you know what? It doesn't feel right yet. Let, let's wait till tomorrow. Yeah, it was just not enough. People were there. Traffic in Atlanta was bad. They're like the vibes weren't good. The vibes we were always uh, very, very concerned about the vibes uh, for any particular uh, playoff baseball game. But um, this was the first wild card expansion postseason, uh, the best of three series. I 
<laughs> Wait, didn't didn't we get one in 2020? Was it the same? I think it was, yeah, because that was was it? Yeah, because that was um well, I think the difference that... too, remember, is there was no home stadiums. I don't think they were playing in their home oh, stadium yeah, for yeah. their games. You know so. what? I, the, the less I think about the 2020 season and postseason <laughs> in general, the better. So let's just, let's, yeah, let's, let, let's forget it. The, no one needs to think about 2020. <laughs> bad, bad postseason. I, I don't remember uh, a lot of that. And yeah, no, it's all a jumbled mess. But in terms of this one being the official, like, this is the new status quo for the Major League Baseball postseason for the foreseeable future. Um, we get a three game series and every single third game, John, I kept looking and I was like, why are they here? Why are they still in New York? Why are they still in Salem? Because I just completely forgot that this Same. was not, uh, this was all in one location for yeah. all three. And I was like, that's not fair. Every time, like, it was just the dumbest thought where I'm like, I knew this. Why am I still just like, and why are they still there? And it makes sense when you think about it. Cause it's like, well, of course, like the, mm. that's the punishment for being the lower seed is that yeah. you get zero home games. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'd also for, like, literally, even when like games one, the games one were happening and I'm just sitting there being like, so they are going to go to, as like everyone is saying, it's like, oh, Seattle's not going to get a chance to host a postseason game unless they mm -hmm. advance. I'm like, what do you mean? If they if they force a game three, they right? No, they can't. Like literally, yeah. as like game two is happening, I'm like, what are they talking about? All they got to do is, anyway. <laughs> well, my first question to you, John, uh, the biggest wild card surprises for you was what? I think, I think the way Toronto went out was really surprising to me. I I forget I've I've already forgotten what postseason picks I made uh for mm -hmm. our fan graphs predictions, which should probably tell you a lot about the value of random people predictions. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember if I went with Seattle or Toronto. I think I went with Toronto. In my mind it was pretty much a coin flip, but mm -hmm. I did not see Toronto I did not see Alec Minow and Kevin Gaussman just flat out not performing. Um I didn't see Toronto's offense for the most part going dead silent. And even with you know, the runs they scored in game two, the great majority of that was Teoscar Hernandez, uh, who had a fantastic game, but everyone else didn't really show up. Uh, I, I think we all knew that the Toronto that the Toronto bullpen was going to be a problem for them. I didn't expect them to be up there with some of the one of the worst single game collapses in postseason history. Mm -hmm. So I think that that individual game two was probably the single most surprising result overall. Uh, with the possible exception of the Phillies managing not to Phillies it hard enough to lose to St. Louis. Although I will say I, I picked Philly to advance there, so I felt pretty good about that one. Mm -hmm. um, I think overall, though, I think the Mets, I think I, I feel like it kind of has to be the Mets, you know, a 101 mm -hmm. win team. They led the NL East almost wire to wire. Uh, Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom starting games one and two against a Padres team that was good, but certainly didn't look like the equal of the Mets or really of any of the other kind of top tier contenders. And the Mets flat out just did not play well mm -hmm. in any of those three games. Um, obviously Scherzer pitched terribly in game one. DeGrom was okay in game two. I think the, the common factor for both of them, they just really did not have good fastball command. Um, I'm wondering how much Scherzer was still struggling with the after effects of his oblique injury. I'm wondering if DeGrom to a certain degree had just kind of run out of steam by that point. Um, given the all the various injuries he's worked his way back from. And I wonder if it just, you know, just didn't click for some reason. And especially, too, the way they just they went out just dead quiet in game three. Joe Musgrove shut them down so completely. There was just no fight left in that team. It That was really kind of surprising to me. I thought I 
you know, I, I didn't think that Mets, I didn't think the Mets were good enough to win the World Series. And truthfully, I mean, it's it, maybe it's recency bias, but that series against Atlanta, I think, really shook the confidence I had in that team to go far, go deep into the playoffs. But I, I really, I really thought they would at least make it to the division series, at least give the Dodgers a good fight especially with the way things were set up for them, that they had their two aces on the mound to start the first two games. All they had to do is win those two games and they're in and they just couldn't do it. And that I think, I don't necessarily know if it makes me rethink whether the Mets actually were as good as their record was, because I do think they, I do think they were as good as their record was. I don't think they fluked their way to 101 wins unless you count. Oh, they got to face the, the nationals and the Marlins 38 times as part of that, which sure that helps, but the Dodgers got to face the Rockies 19 times. The Yankees got to face the Red Sox 19 times. You know, the Guardians got to face the Royals and the Tigers 38 times. Like, you know, everyone, every every team that is in the playoffs gets that advantage to a certain degree. So, you know, did I think the Mets were a, a really serious World Series contender? Maybe not so much. Did I think they were going to bounce out in the first round, especially the way they did? No, I, I don't know if, how many people saw that one coming. I will say. I said uh, I texted friend of the pod, uh, fellow sports reporter Bob Silverman of the Daily Beast, who's a rabid Mets fan. Um, long suffering, we call them. Long suffering, David Roth too. He had a good tweet after their elimination. Uh, yeah. Another friend of the pod, David. Uh, thoughts and prayers uh, to both David. Yeah, thoughts and, Bob. and prayers to all Mets fans. That was yeah. That from the Atlanta series onward, that was a pretty brutal way to finish the season. Pretty brutal, but and look, I mean, I cover everything. I uh, look. The world champion banner is behind me. Uh, the Braves, look, that is a part of it. But I can still look at this objectively, which is I don't think this was a collapse by the Mets. I don't. Um, I think part of what we saw down the stretch for this team, and I, I look, it, the Max Scherzer thing in game one was incredibly surprising. I don't think any of us saw that coming. But you go down with... Scherzer and DeGrom like you're okay if that's how things go look that sucks that really really sucks but the odds of Scherzer having that kind of outing in game one if you play that game over 100 times pretty slim to none yeah that is the result and unfortunately like I it's that capital T that's and capital B baseball but I really think that's what happened here and I think when the, you have these small sample size series a three-game series a lot can happen. And I texted Bob ahead of that series where I was like, I think the Braves, this happens to the Braves too, if they get the pods. And we talked about it on the pod, uh, Padres talking about that on the pod. Uh, that's fun to say. Um, so that, much of, I'm surprised there isn't a Padres podcast just called Padres pod. Yeah. Free. Or you can have it. Race. We're not going to copyright it. Like yeah, y'all can have it. it. Some Padres fan out there. Do it. Exactly. Um, I, you look at their away record. Like this was a team that was so good on the road all season long. They were a better road team than the home team. And I wouldn't know part of that where I was like the Braves. I do not need to mess with the Padres in a three game series. Don't want any part of it. That's why the division was so important. And you saw that um, with the Padres. And now, I mean, they're down. Oh, one as the, this recording to the Dodgers, but the Dodgers are the Dodgers. And I don't know. It's just a rough way of ending the season of going to Atlanta. Things not going well. And then getting a team that is just built for playing on the road and just wanting nothing more uh, than to use their power to just outpower a team like the Mets, who I think that might be my biggest uh, thing going into this offseason. If they could redo it, I'm sure Epler and Cohen would say, 
we should have added more power. At the yeah, deadline. that was something where we people, messed up. People made the good point that that was a good offense, but one that did not have a lot of guys who who have a lot of home run power. That a lot of the home runs mm-hmm. were were Pete Alonso. It was Francisco Lindor. It was a healthy Starling Marte. And for as much as he was able to play and looked for the most part fine, they they obviously didn't have a fully healthy Starling Marte. Um, but I, I think you I think you made the I think you made a good point that you know just with just the same as with that Atlanta series, the Mets just got straight up beat. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that there's one moment, one that this isn't something where it's like you can point to one inning, one moment, one pitch and be like, aha, that's the reason right there. They just got beat. And you can certainly point to a variety of reasons as to why they got beat. I mean, for as much as we couldn't see have seen that with Scherzer coming at the same time, he's 37 years old. He was coming off that oblique injury. Those are the kinds of things that are going to happen more likely than not with an older pitcher is that they are going to get hurt more easily and have a harder time shrugging off those injuries or recovering from them. Similarly, with a guy like DeGrom, like there are there are obstacles that exist with someone like him because of the way he pitches and what he has done to get to this point, which is just that you he is the best pitcher on the planet, but it comes at a pretty seemingly seemingly significant cost. I think it said a lot about the Mets that, you know, that they their plan apparently during game two was we're just going to put Edwin Diaz out there until he literally cannot pitch anymore. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. I think when that happened, I was like, oh, this team actually isn't all that well set up for this actually right now. Yeah. Like it was kind of shocking to realize they don't really have a bullpen that Buck Showalter trusts at this particular moment. And similarly, I, I, when I, you know, when you saw Tomas Nito hitting or starting a catcher, all three of those games, you kind of had that moment. I had that moment of like, how in the world have the Mets ended up in a position where they're starting Tomas Nito in must win games? Yeah. You know, that, that just shouldn't happen. Um, similarly with their, and I think a Darren Ruff, Dan Vogelbach platoon should have worked. There's no reason why it shouldn't have, but again, similar, it's like, why don't you have a better player to use than a combination of Dan Vogelbach and Darren Ruff? You know, that, that's just not really ideal. And so I think those are the, some of the smaller things you can point to, to be like, maybe this Mets team wasn't actually in as good a position as we thought they were, but I, I agree with you that I don't think this was the Mets. And similarly with the, with this, with this series, I don't think this was the Mets blowing anything. I think the only the only time it really felt like the Mets just kind of weren't there was against Musgrove, where they just they just got they just flat out were not ready to, to hit against him. But again, I think that that chalk that's can be chalked more up to they just got beat, you know, a, 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 a team that was not necessarily better, but that had its advantages, came in and just played better baseball for in in the innings and the and the minutes that counted. And look. I'm glad they didn't move on from Epler and uh, Buck Walter. That would have been a insane overreaction. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think I don't think this is a Mets. I don't think this is a situation where, despite losing the division late, late in the season and despite not making it out of the first round of the playoffs, I don't think this is something where you need to clean house or anything. Yeah, and I'm interested to see what they do this winter. I'm going to go ahead and guess that uh, they're going to go for power. I would not be surprised if they try and figure out how they can uh, fit Carlos Correa into this lineup. Um, that wouldn't could, surprise me. I could see them trying something. I mean, I think part of it, too, is, you know, you see how much can we realistically expect from Brett Batty and Fran- and uh, Francisco Alvarez in terms of, you know, guys who will hopefully be around next year and we can start the season with them and and maybe they can give us a, a youth boost. But yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think that's the other part of it for me with this postseason series is you, you think about the Mets after it and you're like, this team still has some work to do genuinely mm-hmm. to be a, a true world series contender. And I think of all the teams that got eliminated uh, in the wild card series, I think they're the one that's going to, I think it's going to be tough for them to, 
to return a team next year that is as good as this one was. Hmm. They're going to have to get creative because obviously we know DeGrom is opting out of his contract. He will be a free agent. I don't think that makes it a fait accompli that he won't return. Hmm. Um, I, I certainly, there doesn't seem to be any reason he wouldn't return other than the Mets not giving him more money than another team. Uh, but obviously, you know, they'll have that to deal with. Edwin Diaz is a free agent. Brandon Nimmo is a free agent. Uh, Chris Bassett, if his mutual option is not exercised, will become a free agent. Taiwan Walker will be a free agent. Carlos Carrasco will be a free agent. Adam Adovino will be a free agent. There are a lot of guys that they need to make a decision on. Okay, if we want to bring them back, how exactly do we do it? On top of that, you look at their you look at their payroll status right now. Um this it's the baseball reference figures for this are a little wonky because they're counting Degrom's money as guaranteed, and he's he has a he has an option for thirty two and a half million dollars for next season that he's not going to exercise. So you can wipe that off the books. But um, right now, Baseball Reference has them projected their projected payroll of next year to be twenty some million dollars shy of three hundred million bucks, mm-hmm. and that's not counting like against subtract Degrom, but that's also not counting Diaz, Nimo. Uh, Walker, Carrasco, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're going to have to, luckily for them, arbitration is not that big a thing, but one of the big things for them is going to be Pete Alonso entering his uh, second year of arbitration, projected to make around $15 million through that. I imagine they're going to have to start having some conversations about if or what a long-term deal for him would look like and if they want to extend one to him. Um, they obviously need to, I mean, even if they bring DeGrom back and even if they exercise Bassett's mutual option, which at $19 million for a 33-year-old pitcher is without really swing and miss stuff like that, like Bassett is not that kind of guy, that feels a little risky to me. And I can imagine mm. that's going to be a really tough conversation for the Mets front office as to what they want to do with him. Beyond that, though, they still need to add two more starters to that group because Walker and Carrasco are both free agents. I kind of have a hard time seeing either returning. You don't think you know, Walker's have- back? I don't think so. I, I, I think he's just not reliable enough for them to count on um, too many injury issues and, and too much kind of up and down performance. Well, it might depend on like if DeGrom's gone, right? Like if DeGrom's gone, then they might have to just be like, all right, we got to keep who we can, even if we're not feeling great. Right. But then the other part of that, too, is like they also need to add they, they needed to add bullpen help, even if Diaz were still under contract and he mm-hmm. won't be. And he's going to go out and get himself the biggest deal he possibly can because he can argue, hey, I'm the best closer in baseball. I don't really mm-hmm. know who his competition is even in that regard at this point. Yeah. Um, and again, his top setup guy in Ottavino will also be walking. So they have a lot of work they need to do just to keep the core of that team of this year's team together. And you can argue pretty, pretty uh, decisively that they need to improve on that core too. So mm-hmm. I don't really see a way that the Mets come, come out of this offseason with a payroll under $300 million. Which is nonsense to think about and is also the kind of thing that you're really going to see just how much money Steve Cohen wants to spend. Because again, like they have a lot of holes that they need to fill some way or another. Their farm system is not yet at the point where it can it can start backfilling some of those. I think the exception here being uh, at catcher where they really did not get any production throughout the course of the season. I think they're just going to go with Alvarez from day one and, and just hope for the best. Similarly, I think at third base, you're probably going to see Batty come up as soon as is possible, and they're just going to ride with him. But that brings mm-hmm. its own series of risks, obviously. And regardless, you've still got to spend money on all those other places. Even if you want to bring De- – just bringing DeGrom, Diaz, and Nimmo back for starters is going to cost you probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's call it 55 to $60 million 
And that's just to bring those three guys back. And like you said, they need to add power. They need to add bullpen arms. They need to add back of the rotation arms. They need to add depth. This is going to be a really, really tricky offseason for the Mets, I think. It's it's going to be, at the very least, a one that is going to make them have to think very creatively to figure out how to keep building this team for the future without essentially having to spend $350 million a year to do it. We're going to see. Um, it's going to be an interesting offseason in New York, uh, nonetheless, John. Um Speaking of what they could potentially do, and we'll see uh, if they get involved in any of these sweepstakes, but your team, uh, Pedro Martinez, uh, have you heard about him? Have you have you heard about yeah, Pedro Martinez? No idea what this is. No idea what this is. He warns the Red Sox. This is how you know your organization is a healthy one right now, and it's in a healthy, positive place, is when the one of the, the best all-time, best pitchers of all time, best uh, players in your organization's history of all time, uh, is publicly warning uh, your franchise not to let two particular players walk. Uh, probably with this Mookie Betts figure who is still playing uh, important baseball in October. No that is either. Yeah. Uh, well, Bogarts, he is warning them to not let uh, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers uh, walk this winter. Um, not a good sign, I would say, John. Uh, I love your face as we talk about the rest. Yeah, I, I, can you can you just you see out? Like, like the? Are you the, ready? Well, because here's here's the funny thing about this. So I'm in, in just in looking over offseason stuff with regards to the Bogarts endeavors stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I I agree. Like, if you know, I agree with Pedro Martinez. This, or at least with the idea behind it, that like this is not a contending team without either of those two guys. Mm-hmm. and they'll have Bogart or at least Devers for one more year. He can't walk until after next year. So at the very least, unless they decide to trade him, he'll be there opening day 2023. But Bogarts is obviously going to opt out of his contract. Um, the sim- like He has an opt-out, same as DeGrom does. So he's going to test the market. This is his first chance to hit free agency, probably going to be his last chance. You know, he's a great hitter, a good shortstop. He has been one of the most reliable presences on that team since his rookie season. Uh, he would make any other team that needs a shortstop very, very happy. And I think most importantly for the Red Sox is there's no plan to replace him right now. Mm-hmm. There is long term with Marcelo Mayer, their top five pick from uh, now two drafts ago, who was uh, the be- I believe the best shortstop available in that draft. Uh, very highly touted by evaluators. Very clearly the shortstop of the future in Boston. But obviously, one, he is like 19 or 20 years old. There is no guarantee that that's going to happen either anytime soon or that he even makes it. You know, there are mm. lots of lots of obstacles between here and his first opening day. And second, since he is 19 or 20 years old, he's not going to be there next season. That's not someone they can just say, oh, well, you know, it's not like the Yankees with Anthony Volpe, who they can just say, we mm. don't need to get a shortstop this offseason. We've got this kid who's tearing the minor leagues apart. We're just going to mm. let him do this and figure it out from there. Red Sox aren't in that position. And for as much as people would say, oh, they have Trevor Story, though. Trevor Story, for one, did not have a very good season. Mm-hmm. Two, seems much better suited to second base at this point in his career than shortstop, given his arm troubles. And three, that's only really a temporary solution. Plus, it also means, well, now you got to go find a second baseman. And the market for second baseman this winter is really not a good one. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it never is at this point. But... That that which is kind of thing is like if you want to replace Xander Bogarts and replace his production essentially one to one, then you also have to play at that top end of the market anyway. You're gonna to have to go out or get a Trey Turner or a Dansby Swanson or someone along those lines. You know, you, you can't just go out and sign Jose Iglesias and say done and move on from there. 
unless you're willing to upgrade significantly somewhere else. You can let Xander Bogarts walk as much as it hurts me. If the if the fallback plan is we use that money to sign Wilson Contreras a catcher and add one of the better free agent pitchers to the top of the rotation that really, really needs it. Does that sound uh, like what Heim Bloom would do? No, and that's that's kind of the concern. That's not how I expect things to go. The story signing, what, what really surprised me about it was that the team was willing to go there, but I also think that's not something you can count on. And regardless, I don't think this is a situation where even if Boston does want to make that kind of hand out that kind of contract again, I don't think they're going to do more than one in an offseason at this point. Hmm. I don't think they have the stomach for that. And I do wonder if they decide, if they can come to a deal with Bogarts, they say, okay, that's that. Like, we'll, we'll keep talking with Rafael Devers too because we want to sign him long-term. But otherwise, we're not getting involved with the big free agent with the big free agents out there because we just need to we need to be smart with smart. We need to be smart with our money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I and, and just ultimately. But at, at the end of the day, it's like this is not as good a team without Xander Bogarts. It's simply as is just is not unless the plan is to replace him with one of Turner or Swanson. And I really have a hard time seeing that in either capacity. So. Yeah, really, really looking forward to this offseason in Boston. I think it's going to be very fun. It's also just such a disheartening What are they doing, time. though? Like, if you had to guess where what they're doing, like, I what think, is Heim's actual plan? If you were in the meeting room the, with him, what do you think his actual plan is here? Set up the next, the next core. Okay. I think part of the issue is that, not issue, but I think the thinking is the bet situation was one he inherited that I don't know that they really... I mean, obviously, if I were in charge of the team, I would have, you know, that would not have happened. But I, I don't know that that was a situation that was ever going to go anywhere other than the way it went. You know what hmm. I mean? And I'm starting to wonder if that's kind of the thought process, too, with Bogarts and to a certain degree Devers, particularly less so Devers because he's very young. He was, he was younger when he came up than Betts and Bogarts was were. Um, you know, he's, I think, someone that they maybe feel like they can get more of his prime years if they do sign him long term. Bogarts, on the other hand, just turned 30 this month. But I I do wonder if it's kind of just a sense of like, we need to just, we need to let the Dombrowski Red Sox fully turn over while we upgrade, while we bolster the farm system. And then we can start that that current game in baseball of, I, I think the goal for Bloom is, and I imagine this is probably the goal for as many, for most of the GMs in baseball is, is what Alex Anthopoulos is doing in Atlanta. Hmm. Bring those young guys up, and within once you're pretty confident that they are the productive players you want them to be, you dangle a long-term contract extension in front of them. But when they're still young enough that they are that free agency is so far away and so theoretically risky to them that they're going to be willing to sign it. And that that's not to say that like I don't think, for example, that like Michael Harris or Spencer Strider like did something wrong by signing their extensions. That is life-changing money that they were handed, and I think. With the, I think in all cases, I think the Atlanta probably got a deal that would have been better for them than if all those guys had, had gone to, free, or, you know, than, than they would have gotten later on. But mm-hmm. I think the Albies extension is really the only one where you're like, that's just flat out unfair. You took advantage of the guy. Like, I think they're getting reasonable money. They could make more in free agency probably, but I also think they're getting a reasonable deal. And I think that ultimately is probably what Bloom wants. Because mm-hmm. I don't think ultimately he wants to replicate Tampa down to the down to the screw. Yeah, because Boston doesn't have to run Tampa payrolls. It, it's it just, just flat out Tampa if you're going to do that. Yeah, that's that's the other part of it. Like, why would you yeah. even leave at that point? Yeah, I think the idea is 
you know, you look at the young players who are in that system, like Mayer, like Tristan Cassis, like um, uh, one of the very fast rising prospects in that system, Miguel Blyce. Uh, you look at those guys and you start to think when when they get to the majors, we need to lock them down as soon as we can. Hmm. Because I think part of the problem with this team right now is the window to do that. Obviously, the window for that for bets was closed long before Bloom ever got there. But I think the window to do that with Bogarts and potentially with Devers may not. I, I don't think it. I don't think they. They. I don't think Bloom got. Uh, I don't think Bloom was put in charge early enough to try to take advantage of the window he would have wanted to try to hammer out something long term with the two of them. And so I think between that and between stuff like, hey, Chris Sale's contract still sucks immensely, and we don't know what to do about him. I think they're just elements of we kind of just need to just shuffle out all of the previous kind of regimes moves and kind of shuffle out the players who we can't control any longer and start building something entirely different and new. Hmm. And I am not a hundred percent against that because I do think that in a lot of ways, uh, particularly with regards to the farm system, Bloom got dealt a bad hand to a certain degree by, by Dombrowski that there was not the depth necessary to keep the. I think if, if the if the Red Sox had continued on that same path, they would be in a similar place to where the Mets are, where you're looking at $300 million plus just to keep the team together. Hmm. I think the goal is, can we do that, but at like $200 million, at $180 million, at whatever it happens to be. And I think the only way you're going to be able to do that is the way the Braves have done it. You've got to get to the guys early and you've got to sign them to those long-term extensions early. That's the only way you can do it. That's just, it's about implementing cost control as early and as quickly and as effectively as you can. Because otherwise, I I don't, if that's not the goal, then I don't really know what the point is. Because that that to me seems like the only real, that seems to be like the only logical place for this to end is, hmm. and it'd be funny too, if everyone just decides, we're just going to start imitating Anthopolis and the Braves. That's all that everyone wants to do at this point. Because you do have to, you just say like between between Harris, Strider, Riley, Acuna, Albies, uh, Grit. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone in there in terms of Grissom hasn't come up yet. Um, um, what they've done is just remarkable, just absolutely remarkable. Riley, that, when that when that Spencer Strider extension came out, my Twitter timeline was nothing but uh, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad with the head up doing the he can't keep getting away with this. Like, but if you listen to what they're saying, and this is why you can't really replicate it in Atlanta, is the culture with the team. Like those guys enjoy it. Part of it is like they're close. Like Spencer Strider's from Knoxville. Uh, Michael, Michael Harris, Harris is from like, Atlanta. Did, I was going to say, did you know Michael Harris is from Atlanta? I only yeah. heard that on the broadcast yesterday about 38,000 times. Yeah. So guys, that's we a, get it. He's from Atlanta. Jeez. God. Did you know Dansby was from Kennesaw? Right no outside. No way. Mm -hmm. Did you know Matt Olson is from the area? Did you know? Uh, I mean, did he go to my high school? People are saying. Um, like, Austin Riley is from Northern Mississippi. That's where the Braves, Miley, like the double A Braves. Like that's part of it is that I think a lot of these guys actually grew up Braves fans. And I think a lot of them just part of it is that that part of it is important to them, that their family can come see them and that their family can root for them and watch them. And it's like a communal thing. The other part of it is just that like the Braves just won the world series. The Braves are winning a hundred games. The Braves are a really good franchise that looks like they're going to be good. Like it's easier to have that culture stuff and to get guys to buy in and come to a deal now when you're winning. 
Like that is a big part of this is that they are winning and winning and a lot stability. of games. Like I think that's a big part of what's what's kind of complicated things in Boston too is there's no stability or mm-hmm. there hasn't been stability, excuse me, in that organization for a bit. Yeah. You know, Heim Bloom is the fourth general manager I believe since Theo Epstein left. Mm-hmm. Um Alex Cora obviously is a good manager but also was full ass suspended for a Wait, year. Wait, fourth GM? Who are the four? Uh Ben Charrington. I'm right. sorry, third is Ben Charrington, Dave Dombrowski, and then and then Heim Bloom. Okay, I was like, was there four? Am I no? I, I, that I, long? I added okay. a ghost GM, but either way, like this isn't, and and not only that, but like obviously baseball in Boston is different than baseball in Atlanta in terms of the expectations and the media and all this other stuff. And mm. the and the Braves do have that unique to them built in advantage that the area where they are is one of the baseball hotbeds of the country. You yes. Know? top prospects come out of there all the time. So it's much easier for them to find someone who is local to the area and who actually cares about that kind of stuff yeah. or who wants to be close to home and can say, well, then you guess what? You have one team that you can do that with. Yes. So until the state of Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, or Louisiana ends up getting a team. Yeah. Although I'm okay, New Orleans baseball team would be kind of cool. Um, I don't think that's happening. No, it's not going to happen. But yeah, I... I I think that there is a lot to be said too about about the culture in Atlanta, and too like I, I, it's also very clear like how much the players there love Brian Snitker. Yeah, how much of that he is a part of that, how good it, how good Anthopolis is at his job, how good the Braves just are at the things they do, and yeah, that that counts for a lot. Like, and you know, I think it, the agents have to trust the Braves front office too. I think and it seems a like they do, with, yeah. with the exception of Freddie Freeman's agent, well, former. Get into that one. Oh my god. Um. Oof. Uh, the Robbie Ray decision. We should talk about what happened here. So we're not going to dive into the ALDS and the NLDS uh, all that much yet uh, because the games are still happening and we'll have more of that uh, this following week. But um, that was wild. The Jordan yeah. Homer was just a backbreaker for Seattle. Um, a lot has been made about the managerial choices um, by uh, Scott Cerveus and I want to get your perspective. Y'all had a really good piece on fan graphs, uh, I believe, by Jay Jaffe. Uh, Jake Mailhot. Was it what? Jake Mailhot. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm actually sorry. It's my apologies to Jake. I don't know how to pronounce his last name if that if Mailhot isn't the way you say it. Okay, there you go. Apologies. Um, a lot of Jakes, like J, J. Yeah, we have like, a, we, for some reason, we end up, we have a lot of J folks. No more, no more Jakes. No it more should J's be Jan Graphs. Fan Graphs has got to take it easy. We need some more C names. I haven't January seen January Graphs. Yeah. Where's a Corey out there? Is there a Corey? January, the January 6 Graphs. Oh, cool. Advanced analytics on Ooh. a coup attempt. <laughs> Wins above replacement rioter. Oh my God. Um, shout out to the $1 billion that was handed on today. Um, <laughs> John, yes, the move though itself at the time, like in like you're sitting there on the couch. Did you see that actually coming? Did you see a Jordan bomb? Do you did you immediately see that this was a mistake or was this a hindsight 2020 thing for Seattle? I think it can be both in the sense that. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. In retrospect, I don't think it was a mistake ultimately because. Okay. I think it was more, and I think Jake made a good point of, of kind of getting here, is that this was a damned if you do, damned if you don't spot for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Like, what it boiled down to was that was the last batter on earth they wanted to see at that plate in that moment. But once it got to that point, they really did not have good options for how to deal with him. Because, I mean, this is where, and this is kind of the thing, this is where the Mariners were at this point. Mm-hmm. They had already used 
uh, three of their better relievers, Andres Munoz, Diego Castillo, and Matt Brash, just to get to that point because Logan Gilbert wasn't able to get out of the sixth inning for them. Mm -hmm. They had already put Paul Seawald in, who had already put two base runners on. And regardless of the season he's had, I can understand Scott Surveys feeling like, hey, this maybe isn't the best guy for this moment. Like maybe we need to change something else. And I can understand Ray being the choice because, hmm. I mean, it's been pointed out Alvarez doesn't really have platoon splits because he's such a phenomenally good hitter that I don't think it was simply a matter of we're going to put a lefty in there to try to get the lefty-lefty advantage. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but it's also not something that I think really made much of a difference. Nor do I think it was something as simple as like, oh, there's one. It's been it's been noted that like the one that the so that Ray threw two pitches to Alvarez, two sinkers. One of them was fouled off at approximately 200 miles an hour. The other was hit approximately 200 miles an hour, like 500 feet mm -hmm. that. But that is what the Mariners want. And, you, and and Scott Survey said after the game, like we had been planning for that matchup to be a possibility, you know, mm -hmm. which also suggests that Ray wasn't going to pitch and is not going to start in this series, which I find fascinating on its own. But so I think that was something they had thought about. They wanted to try to get um, a lefty, a lefty arm who can throw a sinker, you know, a pitch that Alvarez still hits well, but doesn't hit as well as he hits fastballs and sliders. Try to put it in a place where he couldn't get the barrel on it, couldn't lift it, just beat it into the ground. And I think the other part of it is when you look at the rest of the Mariners bullpen, aside from Eric Swanson, who's one of their better high leverage relievers, but hasn't really, I don't think pitched at all in this postseason yet. There's not really a guy left over there they can turn to. You know, Matt Boyd is the only other lefty in that bullpen, and I cannot imagine that's a thing that any Mariners fan wanted to see. And the rest of that bullpen is right-handers who, who throw a fastball slider. That it's, uh, I mean, that, that's, but like, this is all kind of getting to the point. There's no good matchup there. There's simply nothing you can really do if you're the Mariners because you do not have that one pitcher who throws that one pitch that is guaranteed to get Alvarez out or minimize the damage. <coughs> Excuse me. The thing they were left with was the best of a bad scenario because ultimately mm. the second it got to the point where Alvarez stepped into the plate, stepped to the plate, the Mariners were kind of screwed. Yeah. Because they didn't they didn't have the 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 pieces necessary to get him out. But also it, it's worth noting too, they were screwed because Jordan Alvarez is one of the best hitters in baseball. Flat out no like uh no um what's the word I'm looking for? No uh you know, no qualifiers, no nothing. Like yeah. that. He's just one of the best no hitters. Caveats. No caveats. Thank you. Mm. Like there's not a whole lot you can do in those scenarios. Like yeah. replace, replace C, like, replace Alvarez with Mookie Betts or with Aaron judge or with Bryce Harper or with, you know, whoever you want. It, it's, it's, it's a similar scenario. It's like, there aren't many pitchers on earth who you're like, yeah, this is like, you know, you know, we, we've got this now, like this dude's just going to lock him. He's a really good hitter, and he did what a really good hitter did. He took a, he took a pitch, and I think if anything, this was the mistake. There, it was just the execution. Mm. The Mariners got themselves into a situation where they had the best possible option to them on the mound, throwing the pitch that they wanted to be thrown at that point. But Ray just left it in a place where Alvarez hit the crap out of it, and I think that's just and like you said earlier, capital T, capital B. That's baseball. Sometimes you can make all the plans in the world, you can have all the options available to you, but it it ends up. Uh, relying on that player being able to execute the particular pitch and Ray just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, I don't necessarily know if it was overmanaging by Scott surveys. I mean, I'm sure in retrospect, well, I actually don't know. I don't know if you asked him in retrospect, would you have changed anything? I don't know that he would have. 
Because again, the only other, the only two options he had otherwise were continue with Paul Seawald, which I don't know was any better of a bet to, to do any better, mm-hmm. or go to a worse reliever instead. And I know that there was theoretically the option of, oh, we'll just intentionally walk Alvarez and pitch to Alex Bregman, get the right on right matchup. But the other side of that is you want to pitch to Alex Bregman with the bases loaded in a two run game when he's already homered in the game. Like, how is that better? That's not mm-hmm. better. That is if anything worse by run expectancy, that is way worse. You put yourself in a far worse position to win the game if you do that. So I think, you know, and and part of the that's baseball aspect of it is the Mariners just ended up in in the worst possible position for them to be in. That game had to end before Jordan Alvarez stepped to the plate. And to that, you can credit, you can credit, uh, uh, I forget, I've forgotten his name, unfortunately, but the Astros rookie who pinch hit for Martin Maldonado and worked a very nice at bat before he got plunked. You can credit Jeremy Pena, who had a great two-strike approach to hit a single to keep the inning alive. You can credit you, know, you can credit a lot, and especially just the way Houston never gave up. And that is the thing with this Astros team. They never die. They don't ever, ever die. And I think Seattle Seattle's just the latest team to learn that one, that really, really painful lesson, that you need to bury this Astros team six feet deep and cover them with quicklime if you want to get rid of them. They are a menace in part because of Alvarez, but just in part because that whole team never ever gives up that's why you, know, you they, draft drew gilbert in the first round if you're houston you got to keep that continuity going the never give up just menace mentality and that's what drew gilbert was for the tennessee how Rangers. many tennessee players are currently on the astros right now i think that's zero it. right zero well i mean oh yeah on the actual astros yes yeah, so in, in other words tennessee has nothing to do with the current state of the astros i don't know i feel like there is something there was a little bit of a bump this uh, is this, it's, this is like John Goodman and the Big Lebowski, where he's always bringing up Vietnam, <laughs> and then you got Jeff Bridges being like, "What what what does Vietnam have to do with anything here?" Look, John, um, that when any time I can bring up some of the things that I love dearly and equate them somehow, some way, uh, to other conversations, I'm gonna do. But you're it. going to get Drew Gilbert up there either next year or the year after that. So you know, event, eventually at some time, point man. you're going to get a Ben Joyce Drew Gilbert matchup in a random AL West game, and that that's going to be tough for you. That will be tough for me. It's gonna be tough for Drew and Ben. Like, do they walk? Do they do a nice? Does Ben just walk him out of a courtesy? No, he hits him because they hate each other. <sighs> that would hurt. I just a Ben Joyce one hundred five point five heater uh, would not not feel great. I'll just yeah. Just ask it. all the people who've gotten plunked by Roldis Chapman over the years how that one felt. <sighs> Which also, and I and and I know this wasn't on there, but I just I want to take a moment to highlight the end of the Roldis Chapman era in New York, mm. ending the only way it could which is him being essentially kicked off the team for deciding he was too good to show up for a postseason workout. Yeah, Absolutely what? phenomenal work. A-plus all around. <laughs> Congrats to one of the stupidest baseball players, clearly, of the last, like, forever. Boy, that was really funny. That was just... I, ne- I need more to that, that story? Is that really just it? Yep, that's just it. He decided... He, I think it, it had become uh, the Yankees had basically told him, look, we're not sure if you're going to make the postseason roster, but come to the workout because we haven't decided. And he was just like, no, I'm not doing that. Mm. He was like, I'm either on the postseason roster or I'm not. And so they're like, OK, then you're not go home. I mean, that is just is this it like for where, Chapman in New York? Absolutely. Year? Does he get picked up? I think some team will, because I think if nothing else, he'll be available at a relative discount. I think Mm. there are not going to be too many serious contenders interested in him, both after the year he had and also just the fact that he seems to be, mm, how do I put it charitably, kind of an asshole. So 
I, I can definitely, I think some team will still give him a chance. So he's still a role as Chapman. You know, someone will try to figure that out. But I can, it's pretty safe to say his time in New York is done. Does that affect how you see the Yankees postseason run going at all? No, I didn't think, I was honestly rooting as a non-Yankees fan. I was very much hoping he would be on the roster because that would guarantee at least one blown game on their part. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, it's funny because there's been a lot of noise made about how the Yankees bullpen is in a pretty tough state. It's not the same bullpen as they've had throughout the season because of all the injuries they've suffered. But they looked plenty fine last night um, with between Jonathan Lysaga, Wandy Peralta, and Clay Holmes. They, they got through Cleveland no real problem. On the other hand, Cleveland's offense is, how do you say, dog shit. So I also don't know how much we were. I don't know how much, if the Yankees advance, I don't know how much we're necessarily going to learn about them in the process other than, oh, yeah, this team is still really good. You know, Brian Cashman said uh, about Chapman uh, going AWOL, he was he said, quote, shocking, but not surprising. Oof. I think that pretty well sums it up, I think. And and I think, too, when you look at you, you remember that whole thing where he had to go on the injured list for a month because he got an infection from a tattoo he got. Vaguely. Yeah, that happened back in August, I believe. Hmm. I mean, when, when when something like that has already happened over the course of the season, just careless. It, yeah, it, that's the thing. It's both careless and it's just inconsiderate in a way of just like, do you not realize that it's not just about you? It's about the rest of the guys on this team, too. Like, that's what matters. It's probably like, also uh, not a good job, a uh, good vibe that like everyone's OK with it. Um, but the Ephros injury is also a factor in this. Like, yeah, the, and that, that's a really tough one, too. I mean, similarly with the Braves losing Tyler Matzik, I didn't even yeah. realize he had been hurting, much yeah. less that he had blown out his elbow completely. That's a really tough one for Atlanta. But he yeah, should I mean, be that, blooper, by the way. They should allow him to be blooper for the rest of the postseason. I think they should let blooper pitch. Mm. I I would be for that, okay. generally. But it, like with Tyler Matzik's right hand? or like how are we I doing don't that? know. It doesn't matter. I, I just want to see blooper pitch. That'd be fun. That could be something they could add to the All-Star game, is just he's, get the mascots yeah, no, in there. There should be an... That's, that's a really good idea. There should be a, an All-Star game for the mascots in mascot yes. costume. That would be fun. I would much rather watch that than anything else they do at the All-Star game. Why are we still doing the celebrity softball game when that's an option instead? That's a good point. Like, Rob Manfred, friend of the pod. Uh, noted, noted capital. <laughs> noted friend of the pod, Rob Manfred. <laughs> uh, who's a regular this... guest on here. He comes on for Thirsty Thursdays and you guys talk IPAs. <laughs> I don't think... I, I don't know. I don't yeah, think that's... he drinks, honestly. I think if he drinks, he drinks, like, crappy wine and just gets mad about it. It's also just kind of fun to imagine his like little like gap tooth thing, but with like mm. red wine stains. There you go. I've just I've just made it so that like <laughs> whatever like tiny hopes you had of getting Rob Manfred on here. Ever. It's it's gone. Like there's he's not doing the pod, but I don't think he does any media. I've never seen like a Rob no, he Manfred doesn't. He does down. like he does like one or two interviews a year, if that. And they always have to be with guys like Tom Verducci, who are basically just not going to call him to task on. Mm -hmm. And which is um, I shouldn't be that like like Verducci is, is obviously a, a great reporter and a like an iconic reporter, but someone also who who knows uh, what's he, he knows how to play nice when he needs to play nice. Right. He's just been in it forever. Like, it's yeah. just one of those so, he's in the club. Like, I think yeah, it's but just... I, like, yeah, Manfred is not a guy who likes making media appearances. He doesn't like talking. Yeah. Which I get. I, I think if I was a uh, if I was a um, commissioner, I don't think I'd ever do interviews. Nothing good. No, you, like the best case scenario is it's neutral. I wouldn't be saying shit. I would just yeah. be doing like <laughs> turning the bases into marshmallows and be like, you want me to give comments? Screw you. No. Like, yeah, I do Once what I, I want. I'm a all this, John. It's like I'm going to be in the mountains in my cabin pushed away in the Smokies. And that's it. Like no interviews, no anything. I'm just gone.
No, the only time people will see you in public would be when you're just at random Tennessee games. Yes, that's it. Maybe like Mr. Commissioner and be like, not while I'm here. Yes. <laughs> not while like, I'm well, watching when? the when? Like, undefeated well, Tennessee volunteers play whoever the hell they're playing this Saturday. I'm sorry. Are you pretending that you're not familiar with the Tennessee-Alabama game the third Saturday in October this weekend? I, I actually had no idea that they were going to play Alabama. 3.30 CBS. So what you're saying is you guys actually finally, for the first time in like two decades, have a reasonable right to say we want Bama. Yes. It's pretty nice. That's fun. That's, that counts for something. I cannot wait for this. You always game. want to play the best. You do. And actually compete against the best. That's even better yeah. when it's not a blowout. No, it's going to be fun. Uh, John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from you over in, on Fangraphs.com this week? Playoffs, playoff, playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, game recaps of every game as it goes on. Uh, we'll have, as as you know, we talked about the piece with Jake, you know, if there's ever anything... Or if there are things that happen during those games that do that deserve a closer look, a little more detail, you know, we have that. Um, obviously, too, we'll be doing, uh, we'll be preparing ahead for the off season because once the World Series is over, we'll put out our top fifty free agents list. So that's still a few weeks away, but something to keep in mind. Uh, yes, there will be an off season, and this time it will not be messed up by a bunch of angry billionaires deciding they don't want to spend money anymore. So. Definitely at the very least, not at the very least, definitely come to Fangraphs for all our playoffs coverage. Become a member while you're there. Sign up $60 for one year of ad-free browsing. Uh, And if you're at all interested, if you're following the playoffs at a bar, in the stands, just while you're walking around and bumping into people, download the Fangraphs app so you can keep up with everything, especially our updated postseason odds, including our Zips, uh, Damson Borsky's creation, our Zips game-by-game and series odds that take into account lineups starting pitchers the previous day's game all that fun stuff so come on over to Fangraphs. we we are we are doing playoffs we're playoffs yeah and i love that you guys had uh just manipulated the system a little bit to ensure that the braves were the favorite uh, you know they're not the favorite anymore by our predict by our projections right uh you're you're cutting out okay. uh john yep all right, all right well, john, <laughs> john, john 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 I don't know. I guess we lost him. Uh, For that guy up there in New York City, John Taylor for myself down here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all we've got. But more postseason baseball to talk about next week. Unless the Brave series goes awry, then we'll just talk about the ALDS. John Taylor, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Yep. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.